Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Dan, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We've got two parts for you today. In the first part, Mary Kay, Scott, and I are going to talk about the best Browns since 1999. And the reason we're doing this, well, you know, a little nostalgia play, some names you might remember. But also, we want to put Miles Garrett on that list. So we're going to see where Miles Garrett already ranks as one of the best Browns players since 1999. The other part of this podcast, Tim Bielek and Ellis Williams are going to do dueling mock drafts. So you'll get an opportunity to see who they have slated for the Browns at number 26. That's in the second half of the pod. Okay, let's get to it. Here is our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And away we go here on our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast and lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Patsko. And in honor of Bark Week and Miles Garrett, we are going to talk about where Miles ranks as the best Browns player since 1999. And Scott and I were talking before we, we started here. This was a tough list to, to come up with. So I figured we'd just go around the horn a little bit, throw out some names, discuss who we need to discuss, and kind of figure out where Miles ranks. So Mary Kay... Why don't you get us started here? Give us a name that belongs on this list. Well, I I think that uh, when you're talking about the best players since 1999, I think you have to start with Joe Thomas. I mean, obviously, uh, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think it's 10 Pro Bowls. He made the Pro Bowl uh, pretty much every season. And he just was obviously one of the best Browns players in history. It's unfortunate for him that he wasn't able to make the playoffs. That is so sad when I think about it, that he got to miss out on that kind of fun. You know, if you were trying to rank the best players since 1999, in my mind, he has to go number one. Yeah, I really think this is going to be like a two-person race. (laughs) And some of the other people we mentioned here are good, and they've been good over that stretch. But there's like a, just like a, a mob of people in that group. And then there's Miles and Joe Thomas. And I do think Joe Thomas goes at the top. Just longevity, obviously, he has miles in that respect. If you're into PFF grades, Joe Thomas never graded, well, he graded below 80 once. That's it, just once. And he graded above 90, which is their version of elite, four different times. Miles Garrett has not reached that yet. He's kind of been a solid 86 through his four seasons. So there's that. Pro Football Reference has their uh, approximate value metric, which is, they, they term it as another way of, being able to describe that somebody was a a full-time starter or they made this many Pro Bowls or whatever. 
Joe Thomas, again, always ranked, he always had between 12 or 10 and 13 in approximate value. He was below that three times and twice was nine. So he was like always in that range. Miles Garrett, though, has had two seasons of 14. Joe Thomas was never that good. So, you know, there's arguments, I guess, to be made both ways here of Miles Garrett versus Joe Thomas. You have a really great performance with a really small sample size because you're really talking about like maybe two and a half seasons of Miles Garrett where he was at this high level. And then you have this long period of Joe Thomas. If you kind of have to factor in everything, Joe Thomas is clearly number one and Miles Garrett is number two. Joe is really the only guy we're going to talk here who has that like real longevity. I, I think that we're talking 10 years. I don't know if we're going to come up with anybody that's even close to that. I think as we go through this list, we're actually going to come up with some guys more recent that, that are going to compete with miles Garrett as well. But it, I mean, how can you argue with Joe Thomas? Probably going to be a first ballot hall of famer. I'm going to walk off the field straight to Canton. He's going to be a legend here forever. So yeah, I, I think Joe Thomas, I don't really have a whole lot to add as far as Joe is concerned. Uh, everything about him that's, that's needed to be said has been said. So Scott, who else belongs on this list? Well, you have, <laughs> I guess, and, and I, I kind of went through uh, past rosters a little bit and Joe Petonia needs to be on this list. There, I think there's, there's three players who I think separate themselves maybe in this next tier after the top two. It's Petonio, Joe Hayden, and, and maybe, maybe Dequell Jackson. Some people might put Josh Cribbs or Phil Dawson on here if they're really into the return game and kickers. I don't know if they really qualify here because of they're so specialized in, in what they did so well. But I think Betonio probably leads the, the list. And again, you're talking about a guy who he's got some decent longevity. I mean, at this point, he's had injuries, but but he's been here since, you know, 2015. So I think Betonio is probably next. It fits that Betonio is right after Joe Thomas, Mary Kay, because he's sort of become the new Joe Thomas in a lot of ways, especially before the Browns made the playoffs this year. He was sort of that guy that had been around had sort of become the voice of the locker room, very media friendly. You know, his locker was right there next to Joe Thomas's for so long. He, he kind of was becoming the, the next Joe Thomas, except he actually finally got to play in a playoff game after he got over COVID-19. Yeah, good for him. Uh, I was really glad that he did get that opportunity uh, after what happened. Uh, no, none of us could really believe that went down the way that it did. And yeah, this is a good spot for Joel Batonio. I actually think that this spot here that you're talking about or that we're talking about here at number three, that you could have plugged in 10 different guys right here. I think that we can all agree once again that, that Joe Thomas and Miles Garrett were one and two. And then after that, it's just a matter of uh, how you are looking at them, how you are grading them. Are you going by Pro Bowls? Are you going by sheer ability, production, 1,000-yard seasons? So I, I had a number of guys that I would have thought of here, including Jarvis Landry, Joe Hayden. You know, I think there's a whole group that we, we could all lump right there. But certainly, uh, Joel Batonio is one of them. And I think he will, uh, you know, he's such a, a warrior and he's just got just uh, that durability that I think that over time, uh, he will even solidify his position here at number three. So I will go with, uh, as my entry then, I'll go ahead and pick Hayden here. I think he's a guy that obviously played seven years in Cleveland, at times was considered one of the best cornerbacks in football. Now he's gone on to kind of continue his career in Pittsburgh and, and has stayed really productive here into his age 31 now age 32 season a guy that the Browns certainly missed when they let him go so I'll put Joe Hayden here at, at this spot 
we've kind of been dancing around it a little bit, so I'll just go with it. You know, how do we kind of view Hayden as, as a Cleveland, as a member of the Browns? Is he sort of in that, I don't want to say the Joe Thomas range, but it's sort of the same general era. He never really got to have playoff success either until he left and went to Pittsburgh. Obviously wasn't here as long as Joe, but could he have sort of put himself in that discussion with Joe Thomas had he remained a Brown? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I'm, I don't care what he does with the Steelers. I'm always going to think of him as a Cleveland Brown. And it goes beyond, I think, what he did on the field, too, because he was really in that face of the franchise conversation when he was here. He was just he was very visible, very vocal, was a guy who who talked every week. So he's got that thing that, you know, Phil Dawson had and obviously Joe Thomas had and Joe Batonio has kind of stepped into that, too, where he's a voice, a loud voice of the franchise. And that kind of bumped him up even more. Obviously, he did it on the field. I mean, he had a couple of Pro Bowl seasons here, so. There was that, but yeah, Joe, Joe Hayden is definitely high on this list, and uh, I wouldn't put him up above Petonio. Obviously, not above Miles Garrett, but but he's definitely in the top five here. Yeah, I, he belongs right here. Uh, you you could make a, a, a again a good case for him. I think we're in that range where you could go again like three down to eight, nine, ten, and we could make an argument for most of the guys that we would name here. Joe definitely belongs here and it was unfortunate. I thought the way that his career ended here. I mean, the last thing you want to do is have Joe Hayden, one of your homegrown guys leave disgruntled and end up in Pittsburgh and go on to have a really nice career over there. So I thought that was uh, just, you know, kind of a sign of the times of, of the organization still being, you know, just so dysfunctional and just, you know, just not in a good place and no alignment and, uh, not kind of knowing how to keep your own guys and keep your guys happy. Uh, so unfortunate the way that one ended, but it was a nice ride while he was here. Okay, Mary Kay, give us somebody else. There's probably about five different guys I could pick from right now, but for some reason, Jarvis Landry keeps jumping out at me. So I'm going to go with Jarvis Landry here. I actually, sometimes I watch Jarvis and I, his hands are so good that I almost think of him in terms of if he continued on this trajectory and plays another five or six years or so, I, I actually think he, he's got to, now he's got to get into the playoffs more and maybe some Super Bowls, but I actually think he has some Hall of Fame potential. And maybe that sounds crazy to say, but when you stack up his numbers and how quickly he was able to get to some of the numbers in his career that he's gotten to, and just the consistent production year after year, the fact that he never misses a game uh he's incredibly durable you know he's just somebody that i think has has been part of the turnaround a big part of the turnaround for the browns in this new era i don't put him this high i I think it has to do with the fact he hasn't been here as long Mm -hmm. and obviously he's been a great player for the team and you're right he's been a huge part of of getting this team pointed in the right direction i'm not sure that i'm ready to put landry so high on, on this list i don't know i especially after last season. And it was obviously a down year for him. Uh, the first two seasons, but he had 80 catches each, each time. He almost got to a thousand in 2018, but he was two time pro bowler there. I don't know. I just, I have other guys. I think I want to put ahead of him. You know, there's going to be some guys here in, on this current team that are probably going to get put on this list. And Jarvis was certainly a guy that I was thinking about based on just the impact he's had since he got here in 2018, sort of the impact he's had on Baker Mayfield too, I think. There there are probably some guys, like you said, Scott, that can go ahead of him. 
but I, I think he belongs. If we're going to talk about best Browns of the new era, I, I think Jarvis has certainly played his way into that, into that list, whatever that list looks like. So Scott, who have you got? This is hard. I, I mentioned Dequel Jackson earlier and, and Josh Cribbs, and I think Josh Cribbs was a better returner than Dequel Jackson was a, was a linebacker. So I, I would say Cribbs. I know he never crossed over and became what everybody hoped he would be as a receiver, but as a return guy, I mean, he's, he's making the ballot for the hall of fame, you know, based on that. So I think he's somebody who needs to be high up on this list. He made the poor ball three times with the Browns. Uh, I think he was an all pro one year, but I mean, we've all, we all remember Josh Cribbs returning the football and he was one of the best in the league ever at it. So I think he deserves to be pretty high here. Yeah, Mary Kay, the thing that stands out to me about Cribbs is, is when I think back on his career, there were games where even just as a return guy or, you know, as a guy that they would use sometimes in a gimmicky way, I'm thinking, you know, that Pittsburgh game, I think it was 2009 in December, you know, they used him a lot in the wildcat had had a couple big returns. There were games that Josh Cribbs either won or played a major role in this team winning. And so even if you view him as simply just a return guy or a great hall of fame caliber returner, He's a guy that had an impact on the few wins this team did get. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Uh, He belongs right up here. And I also thought that he was underutilized. I really felt like he was so versatile that he could have done so many more things. And had there been uh, more continuity back then on the coaching staff, a little bit maybe more creativity, just think that, that he could have, uh, I do think he could have played more as a receiver. I think he probably could have taken some snaps on defense. I I would have used him on more trick plays. I probably would have used the Wildcat a little bit more. I think he was a phenomenal player and they just didn't really quite know what to do with him. I I mean, I would have run him on reverses. I would have used him as a running back. I mean, there's just so many things that you could have done with him. I mean, think if, you know, if, if this coaching staff had a Josh Cribbs, what they would have done with him, right? Uh, so he definitely belongs high up on this list. And you're right, Scott, he probably should have gone higher than Jarvis Landry. I have a recency bias, probably. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Josh Cribbs was, was, again, capable of way more than what he did, which was plenty. Even, even Freddie Kitchens, I think, would have had fun with Josh Cribbs uh, in his mm-hmm. offense. He's the kind of guy who I think would have found creative ways to, to get him the ball. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little bit ahead of his time honestly, for, for Cribs and all the things he could do. And let's not forget Kent State quarterback. There you go. <laughs> Got to give some love to the Kent State guy. You know what? I'll do it. If, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'll do it. Phil Dawson. I'm going to put him on the list. Yeah, he's a kicker. I get it. Can you really have a kicker among all these receivers and linebackers and whoever else with cornerbacks, whoever else we put on this list? But yes, I think Phil Dawson belongs on this list as one of the best Browns since 1999. I mean, he kind of was this, it says a lot about this team that your kicker was one of the faces of your franchise, but that it is what it is. And the Browns made a huge mistake when they let him go too soon. And they've, they've certainly regretted it. They really haven't found a reliable kicker since. So Phil Dawson goes on this list. He's the second all-time leading scorer. He scored a touchdown too. That counts for something. I mean, how many kickers are out there scoring touchdowns? Yeah, I think he definitely needs to be on this list. The debate is like how hot you put him. And, and, of course, there's always the debate of kicker versus real football player. But I do think that Phil Dawson is somebody since 99 that clearly is one of the Browns' best players. 
Yeah, and for the longest time, it was a sign of the time of the Cleveland Browns that some of the most talked about players were the special teams guys, Josh Cribbs and Phil Dawson, right? I mean, you could never really uh, talk about a quarterback very much back then. There were some receivers and some skill players that you could talk about, but not not on a consistent basis. So for a very long time, those guys were faces of the franchise and good for them because they deserved it. But it's nice that the Browns have moved past that now and you can go out and you go to the store and you want to buy a jersey of somebody and you've got a bunch of guys to pick from now uh, and it's not just like a kicker or a returner. Or a left tackle. (laughs) Or a left tackle, right. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about Football Insider where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q&As. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do roundtables, all sorts of fun things with our texters, and we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the offseason. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner, get all the information you need, get yourself signed up, and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our Football Insider subscribers. All right, let's uh, let's do at least one more round here on this list. So Mary Kay, give us another name. You know, maybe it's a little too early for this, but I'm going to go with the quarterback that just got them to the playoffs and, and busted that uh, 17-year playoff drought. So I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield here. I mean, he, he won 11 games this year, and there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, he hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet. Hopefully for him and for the Browns, that will be coming. But he's done a lot of things in terms of consecutive seasons with how many ever yards that he has and a lot of numerical achievements that he has in that regard. This year, to throw only eight interceptions against, how many touchdowns did he have again? Was it 26? 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions down from 21 interceptions last year. So, you know, it was just the kind of season that that Browns fans needed, especially during uh, COVID. And it was uh, the feel-good story of the year. So I I have to put him here at number eight. If we have to put a quarterback on the list, I mean, we we don't need to tell Browns fans this. There's not a lot to choose from. I mean, what names are, are we picking through? Obviously, there's Baker, Tim Couch, Kelly Holcomb. I don't know. I mean, Derek Anderson. Yeah, Derek Anderson's 2007 season. If, if we're making ourselves put a quarterback on the list, you certainly – Baker's got to be in that, discuss, in that discussion. He, right. He's been a starter for this team for three years, and it's going to be a fourth coming up, probably bound for an extension. So, yeah, I, I think this is a guy that, that probably belongs on this list, even if we're still kind of figuring out exactly who he is as a quarterback. Oh, go ahead. An, I was going to say he's an easy choice. He's somebody that I marked down too that I think needed to be at least like in the top ten, even – Despite last, well, not now it's two seasons ago, 2019, he's still clearly been one of the best players uh, since 99. All right. So, Scott, who are you going to add here? I'm going to add to Quill Jackson. I mentioned him earlier. Um, he's a guy who just made a lot of tackles on some really bad teams, <laughs> although he was on the 2007 team. But I mean, he missed almost a year and a half 
to injury, but you could pencil him in for over a hundred tackles every season. He never made a pro Bowl year. He didn't make one until he left and went to the Colts, but he was solid and consistent. And, you know, if you're looking for somebody in the middle of the defense who actually played well over, I mean, he was here seven, seven seasons overall. I think he's, he's a good choice. Yeah. As far as, far as the linebackers you could choose from, he's a guy that, you know, checks a lot of boxes as far as was here for a little while. He's a name, you know, played pretty well. It's hard to really argue with, with Dequell on this list. Some other linebackers that I had on my list, since we're kind of coming down to the end of this, just to throw them out here. Uh, Andre Davis. We remember him, Christian Kirksey. And I was sort of looking at pro football references, value rankings as well while I was going through this. So that's where I pulled some of these names. I mean, Joe Schobert probably, I guess, can be in the discussion as well if we're going to throw, throw a guy like Kirksey in there. Uh, but Dequell Jackson is a pretty good choice if, if we're picking a linebacker. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mary Kay, is, is that a good – you like having him there? Yeah, yeah, I like having him there. Again, there were – like, if I had to pick somebody there, I, I might not have picked Dequell right there. Uh, but you can still absolutely make that case for him. Uh, again, consistent, longevity – leadership, playing at a high level all of those years on bad football teams, definitely make a strong case for, for him being there. He did make the NFL's top 100 list in 2012. He was number 96. <laughs> there you he go. was barely on it, but he did make it. There you go. Listen, that was a big achievement for Browns players back in the day. It was rare to get a Browns player on that top 100 list. Okay, so I've got some, I've got some decisions here. To make and there's a guy that I that I'd love to pick and maybe I'll throw his I'm not going to put him on the list I'll throw his name out though when I kind of give you some other names I had on my list and, and we throw some names out there as, as I was kind of thinking about the list I thought you know does Jamal Lewis belong on this list he had two pretty good years here and then I kind of realized if I'm thinking about putting Jamal Lewis on this list then forget it I'm just going to put Nick Chubb on there you know there's a guy I wanted to go all the way back to the you know, when they first returned, there's a guy I wanted to put on the list, but I'm going to stick with a recent player and I'm going to put Nick Chubb on this list because I think when all is said and done, and this is a little bit of projection, obviously, it's going to be a no doubt that we're going to talk about Nick Chubb as one of the best players the Browns have had in the expansion era. And you know what? I'll tell you, I, I made a list of about 20 guys because uh, I, wa- I wasn't quite sure how deep we were going to go. I had Jamal Lewis on the list as a running back and I had Nick Chubb and I think I would go Nick Chubb here and again maybe there's recency bias maybe it's because we know what he means to this team what he has meant to this team what he's done over the last couple of years and also I guess what I think he's probably going to do over the next few years Uh, so I think I'd have him higher than than Jamal but I definitely had Jamal in my list of 20. Yeah I think I feel the same way about Chubb as I do about Landry but I think you put Landry on this list before you do Chubb so I I'm glad that we did mention Landry first I don't know (laughs) I do think at this point on a list, you're getting into a case of you got some guys who have been really good over a short period of time for this current team versus guys who are, eh, okay. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about Dennis Northcutt? You know, it's like, there's, I think it's easy to lean towards someone like Nick Chubb. So I do think that if we do this five, 10 years from now, that that he's probably going to be somebody who's very high on the list. So I, I do agree with that. I mean, I'm all right putting him, him, this low, I guess, because the pickings are slim at this point. <laughs> yeah, Jamal Lewis, back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, including thirteen hundred yards uh, in two thousand seven and nine rushing touchdowns. He was really good, and he was here in Cleveland for three years, and he was really good for those first two years on this football team. Okay, so let's hear some other names that we had 
And if we want to, you know, speak up and throw somebody on this list that maybe belongs on this list over somebody we have, we here's the list right now: Joe Thomas, Joel Batonio, Joe Hayden, Jarvis Landry, Josh Cribbs, Phil Dawson, Baker Mayfield, DeQuell Jackson, Nick Chubb, and then of course Miles Garrett will, will go in there somewhere. Here's a name I had: Alex Mack. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the one we missed. Does he does he belong on there? Should he replace somebody on there? Or I'll just just throw him on here as a as a tenth guy. He belongs in there. I, I had him on, on my list. I didn't necessarily have him in the top 10, uh, but but I have him in my top 20 for sure. I mean, he made three Pro Bowls Pro here. I'll, I'll throw another name at you. Mitchell Schwartz. Was he here long enough to end up on this list? I did not put him in my top 20. I did okay. not. Have, even though Mitchell turned out to be one of the best right tackles in the NFL, uh, I, I did not have him on my list because some of what he accomplished happened after he went to Kansas City. So... Good player, but I didn't have him in my top 20. Kevin Johnson. That was the guy I was thinking about maybe putting on there. But he's, he's a hard to get a read on because he was playing, you know, the quarterback situation, just the whole situation with the organization when he was here. Uh, but Kevin Johnson was pretty good there in, in a bad situation. Yeah, I, I did not have Kevin Johnson on my list. He was a good player, but I don't have him up in the great player category. And some of the players that I have, on my list were players that I would consider just if you had to go play a football game, like one game, they were a great player in their own right that you would want on your football team. Maybe they didn't have a long season. Maybe they didn't make a bunch of Pro Bowls. But just from a pure talent standpoint, they were a great player. Okay, so Mary Kay, you mentioned Jameer Miller. Who else did you have on your list? I had Josh Gordon on my list. Ooh, yes. Um, because once again, as I mentioned before, my list includes people that were great football players. And Josh Gordon was one of those. Now, even though he had so many uh, horrible problems with his substance abuse and getting suspended all the time, he was arguably the most natural receiver in terms of athletic ability that I have ever seen. I mean, he was unbelievable. And I think he was a Hall of Fame talent. And all of that was derailed by his substance abuse problems. But just from a pure throw him out there on the football field and watch greatness happen, that's how I see him. Back in 2017, I did a list of the best Browns since 2019 or since 1999. And I had him as a backup behind Kevin Johnson and Braylon Edwards. And it was with the caveat that you know, if this guy had actually played <laughs> on a consistent basis, he clearly would have been a starter on this team. It's just, he always comes with an asterisk because, you know, he just never had the full career that everybody had hoped he was going to have. I think if he could have had one more, like one more really good season in Cleveland, because I mean, we do talk about a lot of guys, including some of the recent guys we put on here that have had like two or three good years. If he could have had one more really good season in Cleveland, I think it would be just an absolute no brainer. That, that he belong on this list. But yeah, that's a good one. Uh, anybody else on the list that, that we skipped over there, Mary Kay? I, I have a couple other guys on this list that I don't know if you guys have ever even heard of, but <laughs> <laughs> Sean Rogers I had on the list. Oh, that's a good one. I had Kellen Winslow on the list. I had Kellen Winslow on the list once again uh, because he was just, he was such an immensely talented football player uh, that, that I, I think of him in those terms as, uh, as a really good player. And I had Braylon Edwards. I had Braylon Edwards on here in part, maybe because of the 16 touchdown catch year that he had 
with Derek Anderson that year. And yeah, basically that's about it. I think I actually had Denzel Ward on there. Have we, have we thrown Denzel on there? We have not. No, again, that's another kind of recent guy who kind of what, yeah. what Scott has argued with some of the recent guys too, yeah. like we're still just the body of work there necessarily with Denzel. Exactly. But yeah. I mean, he's so many of these guys have to be in that discussion because they're just so talented. Right. Scott, who was on your list? Well, there were some of the guys that, uh, that Mary Kay mentioned. There's one guy that we have not mentioned, and I'm guaranteeing he was not on either one of your lists. Ryan Pontbriand. <laughs> Fifth round pick of the Browns, long snapper. Made two Pro Bowls as a long snapper. He was yeah. here from 2003 to 2011. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's way down the list, but he should be on the list. I mean, sure. yeah, that's high quality play from your long snapper over a significant amount of time. Yeah. Scott is our long snapper whisperer. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to have current Browns on the team, maybe Charlie Hewlett should be on there too, honestly. And anybody else on your list that we missed that you uh, you think we should talk about? Like you mentioned, Braylon Edwards, I think, deserves to be on. Like that, Braylon Edwards, Kellen, Kellen Winslow, I, the one magical season of Derek Anderson. You know, anybody who played in that 20, 2007 team has a shot, I guess. Uh, but I think we've we've covered everybody. Prompt is the one I, I really felt I had to mention here. <laughs> you know what? As we do this exercise, I think it does go to show you uh, that the Browns really, you know, there was such a lack of continuity. There was so much turnover over all of those years that for the most part, they just did not have a ton of talent on this football team. You know, I mean, there just weren't that many pro bowlers. I mean, think about it. When you talk about defensive players, I mean, how many defensive players are we talking about on this list that were just amazing players like Miles Garrett is, right? There should be a lot. If you take that same period of time and you talk about the great defensive players that played for the Steelers and the Ravens during those years, night and day. And look, they were losing a lot. So you can't use the excuse that they didn't have high enough draft picks to get those players. They were just drafting so poorly year after year after year uh, that they just did not end up with enough talented players on this football team. And so I think any fans listening to this right now should get really, really excited about the fact that now there are a lot of good football players on this team. And I think that these guys are just going to keep them coming. Yeah, go real quick, going back to that uh, 2017 uh, rundown of the best players from my defensive uh, team, the backups at defensive tackle, and defensive end included Gerard Warren and Courtney Brown. So those were backups because obviously they did not live up to their high draft status. You know, instead you had guys like Jabal Sheard and Kennard Lang. Inside it was Orpheus Roy, a type of Rubin. So it was, yeah, your, your high picks were not getting it done. So the point of this whole trip down memory lane, playing this nostalgia game with the, the Browns, was to sort of figure out where Miles Garrett sat as far as post 1999 Browns, I think the consensus we came to, and we've got another question to ask off of this, but just let, let's make sure we're on the same page here. Is he second? Are, are we putting him number two right now behind Joe? That's where I have him. I have him number two uh, behind Joe. And that is because as we said before, Joe is currently a first ballot hall of famer. And we can't say that about miles right now. Uh, miles has to add, a bunch more Pro Bowl seasons to get to that point, maybe a couple more All-Pros to to get to that point. I I think he has the potential to get there. I think we are all witnessing one of the uh, best defensive players in the NFL or maybe even in this era. 
but he has to he has to string together three or four more good seasons before we can kind of put him up in that category. Yeah, I agree. And I think, look, at his best, I think you could argue that he's been better than Joe Thomas at his best because we can look and see what Miles Garrett does to impact the game. And we can point to certain things, especially this season, that he did that, you know, won games and put them in position to win games. And I'm not downplaying Joe Thomas's ability to block and, and be great on the offensive line, but, you know, the visual, we, we see maybe it's, it's easier to understand what Miles Garrett is doing out there. And I think that, you know, if you ask people five, six years from now, who is the better player, it might be an easy, easier choice than maybe it should be because of how easy it is to see that Miles Garrett is out there wrecking people, you know, versus Joe Thomas just being great, period. Yeah, you guys both kind of touched on it. What he maybe needs to do is winning awards, things like that. So the post I'm working on for Bark Week is, you know, where is Miles Garrett five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now? At what point do you think it's going to be realistic to say, and this is assuming that he delivers on on a number of things here, but at what point do you think it will be realistic to say Miles Garrett passed Joe Thomas and what does that look like? Is it, is it just, Hey, he wins three defensive player of the year awards and he gets a hundred sacks, you know, climbing up the sack chart to 140, 150, which is in play if he plays long enough. Is that what it looks like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you need to see five, you know, five more pro bowl type seasons, five more double digit sack seasons, five, you know, all pro four or five more all pros. It's hard to make first team all pro, but he has the ability to do it. Uh, maybe an NFL defensive player of the year, which he was on his way in the last two years to at least coming close to that. I think if he gets one of those, that'll, that'll help a lot. Uh, so these are some of the things that I think that he needs to do to get into that conversation. Yeah, I w- He's got to have, obviously he's got to play five, six more years at least. And he has to be on the field for the majority of those games in those seasons. I, I wouldn't tie it so close to all pros and pro bowls because so much of that depends on who else is in your generation of players. And, you know, they're just because somebody wasn't an all pro or, or making the pro ball left tackle of year doesn't mean they were, they didn't have a good season because Joe Thomas has taken their spot, things like that. So I think we'll know, how good Miles Garrett is just by watching him play and, and the production that he's having. I do think that there are certain types of records he needs to get. Like he needs to become the Browns all-time leader in sacks. He needs to break the single season record. And, you know, those are two things I think that, that probably should happen if he's going to kind of surpass Joe Thomas. Could you guys even believe that? I mean, he was so on his way to breaking, you know, the single season record this year I mean he was he was just really uh, lights out in the first half of the season until he got COVID it's so unfortunate uh, that that happened to him because obviously he was never the same after that this season uh, all the way up until the you know the final game he just still was not 100% himself but I'm, I'm just so surprised that that, that happened where uh, he just could not get there and and break that single season mark. I've said it before. I still don't know that we've seen the best of Miles Garrett. Now, I mean, he's he's 25, so we're we're starting to enter those prime years where we've got to start seeing it if he does want to hit those high sack, those high career sack numbers. If we do start talking about 140, 150 sacks in a career, 
but I still don't know that we've seen the best of miles for various reasons, right? The suspension this year, the COVID, all of that stuff. I think there's still another level for miles. Is it a huge jump? I don't know, but I still think there's another level for miles where he looks a little bit like, you know, a guy in the news right now. He looks like that JJ Watt when he was winning defensive player of the year awards. And he looks like, you know, Aaron Donald, a different position, but you know, looks like that dominant player that Aaron Donald is. I still think that level is in there. And, and I think we're going to see it in the next year or two. By the way, the other guy that could end up on the top of this list and maybe his path is a little easier, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Win a Super Bowl and you're going to be at the top of this list as the quarterback that doesn't. There we go. An ever-changing list. And I think a lot of guys that are currently on the team are, are going to be a part of it. Scott and Mary Kay, thanks for doing this with me. We're going to have Ellis and Tim Bielek coming up after the break. They're going to do dueling mock drafts. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams. Dan Lobby's thrown it to me for this draft segment today on a Wednesday. And for that, of course, I'm bringing in my colleague, Tim Bielek. Tim, how are you doing today, man? Doing all right. Uh, just digging out of the snow like I think everybody else around here. I hear you. It's either a bunch of snow or it's really cold or both. I'm in Minnesota. Listeners know all about that. <laughs> I think we've had uh, 10 straight days of under negative one weather i think something like 100. it's yeah man it, it's been something but there's snow in cleveland it's cold here it's that time of year and it's also that time of year to talk about the draft right absolutely we got about two plus months to go yeah yeah and uh, i mean the names don't stop trying to build profiles on these guys and getting to know them it, it, it's a fun time and also um a time of year that makes me feel like I'm back in school a little bit, right? You got a lot of names to learn, a lot of numbers, uh, a lot of tape to watch, but it's good homework. So um, we've been trying to bring you on here um, weekly and, and, and we will have you consistently on here uh, throughout uh, this time leading up to the draft to talk exactly that draft prospects. You came to me uh, last week with a, with a fun idea, a dueling mock draft, and we're going to preview that here today. Uh, but first, Tim, I just want to throw it to you and just kind of talk through uh, your idea with this, with this story pitch, the life it's taken, and, and what listeners can expect to hear in these next 15, 20 minutes. Well, if you listen to the end of last week's Orange and Broad Talk podcast when I was on with Dan, I talked about having a surprise in store for the mock. Well, this was the surprise for the first time I decided to do a du- wanted to do a dueling mock draft on how it works. It's, you know, you see a couple places, particularly ESPN with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have done this, where I kind of wanted to bring somebody else on. Ellis in particular, in this case, is who brought in to help me. And what we did was we took all 32 teams, divided them in half. One of us would make a pick, and then the other person would have a reaction. For- so I took the odd number teams, and Ellis took the even number teams. I reacted to Ellis' picks. Ellis's picks, he reacted to my picks. So you'll see this on Thursday morning on Cleveland.com, but just for you podcast listeners, get a special sneak peek of it today. That's what it's all about. Should we, should we spoil it and tell everyone who went number one? Should we, should we do that to them? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no shocker there, right? Trevor Lawrence going number one. And I think this draft starts at number two, right? So jokes aside, let's start there. Right away, we had some slight disagreement. I went in and selected Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU, very quickly on my end, just because in the post, we don't, we don't get a chance to defend our pick. This is a good medium to do that. For me, it just seems like a momentum selection, right? Like we know the Jets are going quarterback there. And this time of year, and it only 
it's either hit its peak or there's going to be some sort of pushback and Wilson will all of a sudden drop again. But it just seems like where whatever mock you look at, wherever you're grabbing your information, whoever you can be lucky enough to talk to who might have some insight into this, it sounds like Wilson is the guy there at number two. So I penciled them in there, not saying I necessarily would do that if I were the, the Jets, but a combination of liking Zach Wilson, combining it with everything that we're gathering lands me on Zach Wilson. And your response to that is what, Tim? My response is I, I'm going back to 2017 with Deshaun Watson. You know, we all, we all know how good Deshaun Watson is, but we remember come draft time that he kept sliding. And I don't know if it was so much he did, but I think it's always the idea of when you see more of a guy with the exception of Trevor Lawrence, the more you're try you're looking for reasons to poke holes in this game. Now, to be fair, Justin Fields wasn't quite as efficient as he was a year ago. He had three picks against Indiana. He was bad against Northwestern. Um, but I think in some ways, you're, I'm looking at a guy in Justin Fields, and I got a chance to watch a lot of Justin Fields play, of course, at Ohio State. I thought he was outstanding. I love his arm talent. He's got leadership ability. I love his ability to run, although he didn't use it really as much as I thought he could have. I felt like he could have had a lot of – big time running numbers, but he really didn't do that as much. He tried to throw a lot, which is good, which was good for him in his development. But the thing that kind of comes back to my mind is the Clemson game. The second one he had when he was just simply sensational, you know, they're looking, you're looking to see if Justin Fields can step up against Trevor Lawrence and he outplayed him. I thought, I mean, six touchdowns. He had some beautiful deep passes. He was tremendous in that game. Struggled against Alabama, although you could also say the entire Ohio State team just had a bad night against Alabama. I'm kind of in the camp of fields right now at number two. The thing I can't get past with Zach Wilson, and I know he's obviously an extremely talented guy. There's no question about it. The numbers he put up were just absurd. The thing I keep coming back to, maybe this is unfair, is the schedule he went up against. If you look at teams he went up against, Boise State and Coastal Carolina were among the best. And I wonder, I know Ohio State's got much more talent than BYU. Could Zach Wilson have put up these exact same numbers or something similar to what Justin Fields did if he was playing against defenses like Penn State, Indiana, Northwestern? I'm not sure. I could be very wrong. We could all, I could be very wrong. Zach Wilson could easily be a pro bowler and Justin Fields could be a bust. But, I mean, right now I'm kind of siding with Fields over Wilson at this moment. I hear all that, and I love the Deshaun Watson comparison, and I, I know what you're doing there. You're not saying, you know, Justin Fields is the next Deshaun Watson. You're comparing the situation. So following that same logic and for that exact reasoning, I want to throw this at you. Is there like a Mitch Trubisky effect going on here? Again, not saying Zach Wilson will be Trubisky, but the way Trubisky climbed that offseason in his evaluation process and then really being a one-year starter there at North Carolina, do you see any comps again, not in their game necessarily, unless you want to add to that, but just in the situation here where, where we may just be putting too much stock into one season. I think we, I think there's some of that. I think it is important to note also with Wilson, he's got more than one year of starting experience. He started several years at BYU. So he's got experience right. under his belt that Mitch Trubisky didn't have in North Carolina. So I think that kind of plays into it, but it, it kind of when it goes back to when you Everybody's seen Justin Fields for two years now. You're, it's like you're looking for reasons to not take him. You're, 
it's like when you have a car, you know, you've loved the car from day one, but as time goes on, you start to notice more and more what's wrong with it. What's what you don't like about it. And then Justin Fields is the car you've had for three or four years. And Zach Wilson is the new car out, out of the showroom and it's still shiny. It's got all the fun bells and whistles, the turbo engine and all that fun stuff. And you're not, don't really know quite yet what exactly is the downside of it. But I, but I mean, it, that's a fair comparison because we, we didn't know quite then what Mitch Trubisky's deficiencies were because we didn't have as big a book on him as we did on Deshaun Watson. And I think we're kind of in a similar situation with Wilson and Fields, although Justin Fields is not going 10 picks later than Zach Wilson if he does go after Wilson. Right. I, I hear that. And every year, this quarterback evaluation process, you try to do as much research as you can. You try to be thorough about it. I'm reading a book right now by Brian Billick called The Q Factor. He, he did a deep dive into uh, the 2017-18 quarterback class. And every time you, you get to the end of this, it's like there's a 50% bust rate. You know, sometimes a little lower, sometimes a little higher given the year. But it's just such a position of wonder and mystery, yet it's the most – important position arguably in sports you know aside from whatever lebron james plays right so it is it's fascinating <laughs> to see where this lands and you know we could go back and forth on fields wilson and i'm sure we're going to keep doing it we've got plenty of time to do so let's jump just right to pick three because i want to have a wide receiver conversation with you here quickly um so pick three miami dolphins via the houston texans of course it'd be pretty funny if the texans end up trading for their same pick if they end up landing Deshaun Watson that would be a, a, a pretty uh disappointing low point I think in a, in a franchise's history but they're they're <laughs> struggling right now but I'll digress um Tim why don't you let the listeners know who you selected at pick three why you did so and we can talk about this wide receiver class I think number three number three I went with Devontae Smith of Alabama reuniting him with Tua over there and for me it was kind of it's a tough decision in my mind because my mind with these top three receivers Devontae Smith Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle. I don't think you can go wrong with that. What we saw out of Smith this year was, was absolutely sensational. I wrote about it on Monday when I talked about the wide receivers, how he won up Jamar Chase twice. Chase had 20 touchdowns in 2019. Smith had 23. Chase wins the Boletnikoff. Smith goes off and wins the Heisman. I do think a lot of what he did and a good portion, you have to credit Steve Sarkeesian with, especially when you watch the national championship game against Ohio State. I've never seen a game, and maybe I wasn't watching Alabama enough, where I've seen a receiver deployed as creatively and efficiently as it was. I mean, they manufactured touches so well to get him the football, but then you got to do something with it. And that's where I feel like Smith signs for me. He was, he was going to be a four-line first-rounder in my mind before the season started. And I, I don't think you can go wrong with any of these guys, but I think I have a hard time – as I said it, I'm not ready to underestimate Devontae Smith anymore. I'm done underestimating him, just what he's done. He's faster than I think we all think he is. He's slight at 175 pounds. He could stand out about 15 pounds or so, or maybe that's just what his frame's going to be. But he has all the other requisite tools I think you're looking for in a number one receiver. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. Until this morning, I woke up. I forget which new mock I was looking at. I know Daniel Jeremiah put one out earlier this week um again forget which one i was necessarily looking at but they had smith going to the vikings and for him to fall that far i also saw um 
another pick at, I believe it was maybe 11 with the Giants, his name being floated there, uh, both in two different situations. With the Vikings selection, uh, with the Vikings picking at 14, uh, Smith would have been the second receiver off the board. And with his selection at 11 and another mock I saw, he would have been the first receiver off the board. So I just want to throw that to you. Like you hear that, is that really what we're going to deal with up through draft day? Like the, the, I don't want to call them inconsistencies, but just with how much less information we have this year compared to years past, of course, no NFL scouting combine in Indy this year, are we just going to see movement in different type of mock drafts or what's, you know, Smith falling out of the top 10 shock you? I, I mean, it's still so early that yeah. who knows what can happen. I remember actually seeing somewhere, I forget who wrote this, but some team, I guess, some unnamed team doesn't even have Trevor Lawrence as their number one quarterback. So, I mean, we're getting into the quote unquote silly season of the NFL where, right. you know, just throw stuff on the wall, see what sticks. And I, I think we're not going to get an accurate picture of what I think teams are really going to need until March 31st when free agencies had two weeks to settle when we've seen all the trades that go down. But I mean, right now I look at the Miami dolphins, they need a receiver. I mean, we saw just how much they needed a receiver. I know Tua had his problems as a rookie, but he wasn't didn't really have anybody dynamic to throw the football to the Eagles at six. We had them taking a receiver. We could talk about that later. Um, I, I've said it right now that I think Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson looks like a very bad decision right now. That's because just cause how good Justin Jefferson was the lack of, and we saw Carson Wentz take a major regression that I'm sure has something to do with receivers. So I think, I think I said, this was the second deepest position in the draft. I think it's better than 2020 just because I think it's better at the top than where 2020 was. It's a great point and a great transition. We can go to pick six with the Philadelphia Eagles. I had them taking Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. Uh, to me, the guy who I would have loved to see him play in 2020. It, it just when you have an athletic freak like that, it, you miss seeing him on, on Saturdays. But that doesn't change where he goes in the draft for me, right? Like I'm not going to knock him for, for opting out. This is a guy who already put everything you need to see on tape. He's the type of uh, physical athlete and, and specimen you look for. In, in, in a top 10 pick and you nailed it with the Eagles having a lot of buyer's remorse regret on picking Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, even though I will speak for Vikings fans here in Minnesota. I know they are so <laughs> grateful and appreciative of that pick. Justin Jefferson looks like a bona fide star in this league. Jalen Rager, plenty of t- time to still prove himself, but it's pretty clear that was um, a miss by them. And now I feel like at six, they're going to have to make up for that decision, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's a bad situation you're putting yourself in when you have to draft to cover your own mistakes. Yeah, that's that's tough. And that's kind of where uh, the Eagles right now are. Uh, you can you can put teams like the Bears in that conversation. Kind of funny that there's some Carson Wentz Bears Eagles talk right now. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is rather compound your mistake, just admit it and try and clean it up. And unlike Jalen Rager, I feel like Jamar Chase is, is a can't miss. Let's work. Um, let's get outside of the top 10 here now. Uh, you had the first edge rusher coming off the board at number 11. You want to tell me who that is and why? Gregory Rousseau from Miami to the New York Giants at number 11. I know you talked about how you were kind of surprised to see him there. This is a guy I've been pretty high on throughout the process. I know he really only has one season in, 
of production, but there's all, and there's all the talk of him being raw and all these things. But the one thing I can't go, I keep going back to, you cannot teach 15 and a half sacks in one season. That's all I need to see right there. Plays in Miami. That's, that's a great level of competition in the ACC. And you got another Miami guy going pretty early that I was surprised by touch on that in a bit, but for all the stuff about him being raw and stuff like that, all I have to, I just have to respond by saying 15 and a half sacks. Again, you don't just get 15 and a half sacks at the power five level by not having some form of athletic ability, some form of talent. And I know there's debate between him and Quiddy Pay from Michigan about who's number one. They're both outstanding edge rushers. I think it's just a matter of, you know, preference. And, and obviously Rousseau, like Jamar Chase, is a guy that we would have loved to see play in 2020. Unfortunately, Obviously, he chose not to. I don't hold that decision against any player that didn't want that opted out of the season that their own choice. I'm just curious, you know, we'll learn more about these guys in pro days, what they developed on, what they worked on, if they choose to work out at the pro days, which is important because we're getting those. That so we're getting the complete inverse of what we had a year ago, where we had combine, no pro days. We're getting no combine in pro days. So, but getting back to Russo. He's raw, but there's a lot to love about him. And I think with the Giants at the, at the spot, I like giving them another pass rusher to, to add some depth on that pass rush outside of Leonard Williams. Yep, two things. I love what you said about the inverse of the pro day in the combine. Of course, it's 100% accurate. And it's really going to, I think, force front offices to trust their scouts and trust their intel and go get the guys they want. And that's why I think you're 100% onto something here with the Rousseau pick at 11, though I was surprised to see it do it. I think that is eventually how this draft plays out. You know, like there's only so many just bona fide potential stars in this draft. And when you're looking for the, the athletic makeup, you know, the, the height, size, speed type stuff that he checks all those boxes. And then of course, 15 sacks in a college season, it, it's the complete package, right? So eventually I see either a team, grabbing him right around where you got him, you know, between eight and 11, depending on, on need and situation or a trade up. I think this is a draft where teams are going to either trade back because they just don't have enough Intel and they don't like guys opting out and just not having enough Intel, or you're going to really like your guy and you're going to go get him, And it might not be as expensive in years past to move up. So whether it's Rousseau, at 11 straight up to the giants. And we probably should preface this at the beginning. We said no trades in this mock, you know, we didn't want to make it any messier than, um, you know, mocking already is. I know you're going to do some work with uh, trades in in future mock drafts and whatnot, but I think this is a potential uh, player that teams will target in a trade up. And we don't know enough about this Browns front office yet. I don't know if they're the type of team that will aggressively trade up. We've already seen them trade back in Andrew Berry's first uh, draft at the helm. But if this is a guy the Cleveland Browns want, there's no chance he's getting a 26. We agree on that clearly, right? Yeah, they would have to move up for him for sure. Yeah, and that and then that gets us to really a, a, a run of edge rushers here. Um, you mentioned Quiddy Pay. I had him going number 12 
to the 49ers. Them just staying on brand there. Uh, you know, you already got Nick Bosa. They went D-line in the first round last year after um, trading DeForest Buckner to the Colts. And now they're going to add another stud up there and just continue to build that defense through the front four, something I think Cleveland hopes to be eventually, but they just haven't had the time and the assets to do that yet. The 49ers are the model organization of that. And then at 14, the Minnesota Vikings, I have taken Jalen Phillips of Miami, another edge rusher. And I'll let you get into your reaction to that in a second. I just want to defend this pick real quickly. It goes back to really what I said about Rousseau. Like eventually there's going to be a diminishing point of return where your edge rushers four through 10 probably aren't as definitively decided as these top three guys. And I think you're going to have to grab one of them when they're available compared to risking them fall. And that's right in Minnesota's wheelhouse. Uh, Mike Zimmer, coach of the Vikings, obsessed with winning up front with picking defense. He's gone cornerback a lot in the first round these past few years. Now I think they address a, a glaring need on their defensive line. They do need some offensive line work here in Minnesota. But again, I think there's just – it's a premium position at edge rusher. So perhaps it's a little bit of a reach. But again, a lot like Rousseau, I think the physical attributes of Phillips just check out for an NFL traditional defensive end. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, kind of a little behind-the-scenes stuff. When we're putting this together, we put this in Google Docs so you can, we can see when the other person types in live. My eyes kind of lit up a little bit when – uh, Ellis went with Jalen Phillips, 14th overall, because I, he was a guy I thought could make it to the Browns at 26. Certainly can, because I think there's legitimate concerns, you know, about his durability. I mean, he medically retired from football briefly before coming over to Miami. He had a great season, eight sacks, 15 and a half tackles for loss, replacing Gregory Russo. Would have been fun to see those two together. If, would have, uh, man. Oh, my goodness. They might have, they might have really pushed for – they would have – Maybe had a shot, maybe at second the ECC. I thought if you had that dynamic pass rush, but I think those questions are why I kind of thought Phillips was going to slide a little bit. I mean, if he tests well at his pro day, you could almost forget about him going twenty six of the Browns. But there's a lot to love about him: his athleticism. I watch highlight film. I love his hands. I know he could use some more hand technique, but the strength and the way he uses his hands is fun to watch to me. Couldn't agree more. And, and exactly what you just said there, I'm, I'm baking in the idea that he's going to perform well at his pro day. And eventually these guys just, you pay a premium when you want an edge rusher like that. Like what you hear about him is just, you know, if he falls to the Browns, imagine pairing him with Miles Garrett. Well, if, if scouts talk like that, I don't see him falling to 26. You know what I mean? There's just going to be too much mm -hmm. potential, too much upside there. And I don't think the Vikings are, are scared to reach for a guy like that. And it, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how these edge rushers play out. Um, before we wrap up and, and maybe touch a little bit on the Browns, are there any picks in between? We're at 14 now, 14 and 26. You want to, you want to highlight quickly? Um, I kind of want to go back to uh, the 18th pick with the Miami Dolphins. When you have them taking Najee Harris yeah, from yeah. Alabama. I love Najee Harris. But I, I specifically said I would have rather taken Travis Etienne there at number 18 simply because I look at Etienne, I see the absolute perfect running back. Outstanding speed, very physical. Um, he's a good blocker as well. I mean, he would have, I think he would have been a first-rounder had he come out in last year's draft, put up sensational numbers. That's not to say Harris didn't, but 
This is a guy who is a three-star prospect, just completely outshined that projection from high school, four years of just being an absolute stud. I don't think you can go wrong with any running back, but maybe it's just kind of my preference to go with ETN. I mocked him 24th in my last mock draft to Pittsburgh because I thought, you know, with Big Ben getting older, just get him, a, get him a workhorse running back to take all the pressure off so you can maximize whatever years you get out of him left. But I can understand the Najee Harris thing. And that then you, if this mock draft were to play on reality, you'd have a fun scenario of two in the backfield, Najee Harris, and then you have Devontae Smith out wide. It'd be a lot of fun out there in Miami. And just a complete Alabama reunion, right? And <laughs> I hear everything you're saying about ETN and – in our mock, we do only have one running back going in the, in the first 32 picks in the first round there. And my defense for this is I think there is going to be a Derrick Henry effect that's going to hit this league pretty soon here and not saying that this works, right? When you try to chase uh, carbon copy players in the league and project them out of these players, I don't think it, it, it usually ends well. Like if we're going to sit here, I'm glad neither of us have said, you're like, oh, Jamar Chase is the next Julio Jones. You know, we're, we're not here to do stuff like that. But I think that it's not think there it is. There's enough history in this league to know that the way league trends unfold in the regular season in the NFL tend to trickle down into the NFL draft, specifically the first round, and then you see some reaching, right? So mm -hmm. if we're looking for someone who can just bruise between the tackles, has that, uh, you know, you can't even call him deceivingly fast. We know the speed's there. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a size pick to me. It's a Derrick Henry effect. And like you said, I don't think you can go wrong with either. Um, and perhaps I got a little sucked into the, the triplet Alabama effect, right? <laughs> Well, that's, that's all part of the fun. I mean, right. we, got two, we got two months to think of these scenarios. I mean, I remember writing for our insider exclusive for those that get the football insider newsletter a couple of weeks ago, picking backing off what Mary Kay wrote about, you know, what if the, the Browns may need to explore an Odell trade? What if they got a mid first rounder for him? I even went, took it to the extreme 0.01% scenario of take the mid round pick package, whatever you can to move up, and draft Jalen Waddle. I know that's 0.01% scenario, but you cannot tell me that that wouldn't get Browns fans excited to have those tight ends, that backfield, and then, oh, yeah, Jalen Waddle's out wide in a three, three tight end, one receiver play action. Exactly. And, and I, look – I'm sorry, it's not going to happen, but it's, it's – this time's fun to just dream about these wild scenarios. Right. I couldn't agree more. And look, it happened to the Cowboys last year. I don't think they had any intention of selecting CeeDee Lamb. And then all of a sudden he's there. And if Dak Prescott doesn't get hurt, that is a top five offense this year. And CeeDee Lamb still had a real nice rookie year, right? So now they've got this trio of receivers and embarrassment of riches. And the Cowboys are going to be all right. I mean, assuming they, they keep Dak Prescott there, that's a whole other conversation. But there is something to when a, a mock or a fantasy scenario ends up becoming a real life application. It's just as fun as you imagine it, right? It was a blast seeing right. the, the triplets there <laughs> in Dallas. All right, Tim, before we get out of here, um, I'm going to let you decide. The Browns pick 26. Do we want to, do we want to reveal the selection? Do we want to talk a little bit about it? Where do you want to go with this, man? I say we can talk about it a little bit because I kind of had an interesting debate. I kind of had an interesting debate, not so much about the player, but so much the value. And I guess that kind of tips the pick. Right, so right. Might as well. Right. So, okay. Pick 26. And for anyone who's, who's read me recently, I had a recent flip on this um, 
probably what, what Tim's going to talk about just with the, the value of the position. I was convinced the Browns needed to find an edge rusher in this draft. Then I watched the Super Bowl and I had a complete change of heart. I, I have a, just a, a, a feeling that athletic linebacker is what Joe Woods is craving right now. It doesn't look like Mac Wilson's that guy. I'm not saying give up on Jacob Phillips, but the guy I have the Browns selecting is a lot different football player than Jacob Phillips. I have them taking Zayvon Collins of Tulsa. And when you put on his tape and I, we haven't had been able to talk about him yet. So I'm glad we're going to be able to do this for a little bit here. I'm blown away. I really am. I mean, he is all over the football field at six, four I mean, he's bigger than some stand up defensive ends in this class and he still moves like a sideline to sideline linebacker. What do you see when you put on the tape? And what do you think of the pick there at 26, Avon Collins, Cleveland Browns? I see a guy who, like you said, moves faster than a guy who's 260 pounds does. And I mean, this guy won the Benaric as the best defensive player in college football in 2020. That tells you all you need to know. The guy's just all over the field making plays, four interceptions. I think he had a t- I took one back for a touchdown, 11 and a half tackles for loss. I know there's stuff about him possibly moving down to to defensive end, maybe in certain situations. I mean, if they were going to draft him here as a linebacker, I would, I completely understand the pick. I mean, I, I think they do need at least one true stud at linebacker. I don't, they don't need like a core of them, but get one good dude. But the way the draft kind of fell, I, if I, if that were my decision, I would have taken JC Horn of South Carolina get you a six foot one corner who I love his physicality. I talk about him in this mock that the Browns drafted greedy Williams two years ago with the hopes that he could be that tall corner with some physicality to cut, to play opposite Denzel Ward. Not that he can't, but we've seen injuries really harm greedy in those two years. And I think you kind of have to have some insurance just in case. And I, I love the way Horn plays on tape. I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for NFL bloodlines and, JC is the son of Joe Horn. I wrote about and I talked about the corners. This is a corner draft full of guys that are tall and they have NFL bloodlines. Horn has them both. I love SEC guys. We saw last year that Andrew Berry was all about SEC guys. I think the first four picks that he made were from the SEC. So that would be on brand. But if they were to take Collins, the value, I don't know if the value of a linebacker is there unless he's far and away their best player. But I can, I can definitely understand the pick, even though I may not have made the pick myself. It, no, Tim, it's well said. It's well said. And I think if I – perhaps as an exercise, we probably should do this again in like a month and just see where things land as we gain information. Um, off the top of my head, if we could redo this right now, perhaps I would slot JC in there at 16 to the Arizona Cardinals. I won't reveal who we have the Cardinals taking. But, you know – a team like that needing to defend against the pass, considering they're facing, you know, the the Niners, uh, the Rams and the Seahawks, you know, Matt Stafford there now. And of course, Russell Wilson, and depending what the the Niners do, they're always going to be formidable offense. I think that could be a decent landing spot for him. I completely agree about everything you're saying about horn. Um, The long corner that can run and is athletic enough to play man coverage is just difficult to find in this league. And when you have a prospect like that, having them fall all the way to 28 does seem a bit unlikely. Again, this draft is going to be so fun to follow as these things change, but everything you're saying on horn checks out. I wrote about um, Antoine Winfield jr. Last year, 
he looks like a, a guy headed for Pro Bowls and perhaps some All Pros and and a, to be a star in this league. I see a lot of uh, that similarities of a, a pro bloodline in Asante Samuel Jr. this year in this draft. That's a guy who's probably going to be a second-round pick, perhaps there for the Browns when, when we get back around to their next selection. And that's definitely a need. You know, it's definitely a need. I, I don't think you can go into this year, like you mentioned, banking on Greedy Williams, even though the front office is going to say that is, that is their plan. But between edge rusher, corner, and defensive back, I mean, the Browns need them all, right? So they're in an interesting spot to either trade up and get aggressive for one of these edge rushers like we talked about, stand pat and take a corner like J.C. Horn if he's still there, or grab one of these linebackers that may fall. And that is one thing I hope readers go and check out where we have these linebackers placing. I think it's interesting. We had some guys fall, um, again, with with who the the, the Browns took. There's just movement in this draft this year that is going to be – fascinating to follow so tim before we get out of here anything you want to add um any more or plugs before the our readers get to see this online thursday i think this is it just you know take take a look on it thursday hopefully we'll do it again i'm i'm my next mock i plan to do sometime after free agency and you tease it it's kind of my annual trade mock where i do plan to get a little crazy as i usually tend to do i don't remember exactly what i had last year in the trademark, I had to go up back and look at it, but um, oh yeah, I, I yeah, I remember I had the Browns trading down and getting Patrick Queen, I think, in that trademark. So, I remember that. Yep. Yeah, because I was trying to kind of get people, I was trying to kind of introduce people to Patrick Queen. Of course, Browns fans should know him much more because he's with Baltimore. But I usually I try to have some fun with that. I don't know if the Browns going to trade, but we got a month to find out. Yeah, and it's just such a fun time of year. So, Tim, I'm glad we were able to do this. Uh, we didn't spoil where Justin Fields went. You got to check that out. Michael Parsons, linebacker at Penn State. Where's he going in this draft? Uh, there's a couple other names that we didn't get to. Kyle Pitts, it, it was a blast trying to peg him and mock him out. Tight end of Florida. Just a lot of fascinating prospects in this draft, and that's what makes this mock draft so fun. So, Tim, thanks for coming on. I'm Ellis Williams for the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. For myself, we had Mary Kay on today. Of course, host Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko. For Tim and Ellis, we're signing off. Thanks for listening, y'all.